There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on September the 26th, 2013. Any newcomers that listen to the show, please tune in to CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website, just look into it, and you'll find lots and lots of audios for free download where I go through the system, this massive system that's, that's uh, all one really, uh, designed a long time ago, before even your parents or grandparents were born. Uh, to bring in this new global society, a perfected society, where gradually the old types die off, the new types are created genetically, basically, through science and so on, progress is called, to serve the elites who will go on into the future, a much, much smaller population. And I go through the history of it and uh, the organizations behind it, the big foundations which were set up 100 years ago by the richest people on the planet and top international moneylenders, because they were moneylenders to nations, and uh, and we have gone from there. So have yourself to the website. You'll start to learn an awful lot of the conology, as I call it, the art of conning whole populations of people generation after generation. Remember, too, uh, on the site cuttingthroughmedics.com, you can also find uh, transcripts and all the sites listed there in English for print-up. If you go into Alan Watt Sentin, sentinel.eu, you can get transcripts in other languages. Remember too, you bring me to you, you're the audience who support me because I don't bring on big advertisers as guests and give you one hour ads basically. And um, I certainly could do and uh, and be a lot better off for it too. But th- this keeps me kind of cleaner at the moment and I hope it continues because things are getting pretty tight, as you well know, with inflation and so on. And folk are running out of cash, there's people losing their jobs all over the place too. And uh, it's with outsourcing still going on to different countries. And that's a big plan, of course, to take down the first world countries that helped to fund the, the so-called third world countries up into a higher standard of living, all designed by people you'll never elect through the big foundations and organizations that really run the world and that created the World Trade Organization to make sure your taxes all went abroad for big corporations to set up there. So help yourself to that. And remember, too, you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughmedics.com. Uh, from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders. You can send cash or use PayPal. And across the world, you've got Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal. Straight donations are seriously welcome as we go through the planned inflation for the next 10 years, according to the Federal Reserve Chairman. So we're really going through massive changes. It's, it's, you understand that most uh, nothing happens by itself. Any big changes in society is planned by lots of brains working together and lots of meetings and they go over their agendas for the future, how to shape the public, how to train the public. And you're being trained all the time, by the way. Every generation is being trained. And this is for revolution. Revolution, uh, most revolutions are bloodless. They're actually cultural revolutions. And the same revolutions are going across the whole world, conducted and spearheaded by the same agents and people, because this is a very, very, very old agenda indeed. 
and to change the system into a global society, then you must destroy all existing cultures, especially ones which are strong cultures. And that's why Europe was being demolished, actually. Uh, I've read, read about this before, from even mainstream, where the British um, assistant prime minister, deputy prime minister, uh, admitted that he was told by Tony Blair to open the floodgates, floodgates to Britain. He wasn't the first one to do it. Of course, Thatcher was doing it too. And... Um, I said this would destroy what was left of the British culture forever. There'd be too much, too many people folk coming in, different kinds of people from, from really varying uh, countries and not necessarily even European countries. Same things happening across Scandinavia and so on and so on. So a big, big, massive change is happening. There's lots and lots of people, millions are, are migrating across the planet to, to the countries that are really encouraging them to come in. And we also go through uh, the, the other old moors, as you say, the old moors and morales that we, we used to have, they're all taboo now, and they're, they're kicked out the window because the old morales or, or morals kept you, and part, it's part of your culture, it keeps your culture intact. And when you have a, a common culture, you stand up against tyranny of all kinds. Well, first you must destroy all of the, those, those morals and so on, and degrade the people until they will never stand together. You must make them hedonistic. As Lord Bertrand Russell said, and he certainly was a big planner of the stages that you're going through today. He's long dead, but he helped plan everything in global meetings with his cohorts uh, to do with the taking down of culture. Uh, even before he came along, other ones were at the same thing. H.G. Uh, Wells was one of them, in fact, the, the novelist, but he also wrote lots of non-fiction. And he was a propagandist for this organization, this private club that called themselves the Alf- Lord Alfred Milner Group or just the Milner Group, and uh, they became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, a private organization unelected, and they advise governments across the planet. Their counterpart, or their, their branch in America, is called the Council on Foreign Relations. They have branches across the old British Empire countries, but including India as well, and they advise all governments on, on, on what the agenda is and where to take the world. We have no say in anything, actually, at the bottom, and democracy was a joke, because these people didn't believe in democracy ever. In fact, they believe in eugenics and superior types and inferior types. If you go into the histories of the Council on Foreign Relations, Relationship for International Affairs, you find that they backed every tyrant uh, throughout the 20th century. In fact, they wanted wars. They had to instigate wars, and it's documented by their own personal historian, Carl Quigley, uh, who had accessed their archives is to update them and so on. And he said these guys literally uh, fomented World War One. They were behind agitation for that. Uh, long before that, they were, in fact, during the Boer War, which they also caused, by the way, uh, they were going up the world's resources, and they decided not to let Germany come in and take over uh, the resources of different parts of Africa too, which would be a step they were taking. So they decided to, to nip it in the bud and have a war. Wars also helped to change the cultures of both opposing forces, by the way. It's another side effect of war. And Quigley himself said you can do more on social change in, in five years of war than 50 years of peace and propaganda. So what we're going through today is a continuation of it because it's the war on terror, which can go on forever, you see, because terror can always be redefined, and which it has, has already, in fact, many times in different instances. 
and you can constantly change society and train society to uh, to be anything that you want to behave the way that you want them to behave, to believe what you want them to believe, to train them not to talk about certain topics, taboo topics, and give them default positions. So, so whenever these topics come up, uh, they go immediately back to default, the, the original setting, and simply don't talk about it and they get embarrassed and walk away. And we're very easily cha- uh, trained, very easily trained. These are old, old arts, you understand. Uh, back to the the, the, the the Greeks wrote a lot about it, the art of controlling peoples and managing continents and empires. And this was updated with every empire from then on. And at the top of every empire, you always had this odd thing called money and um, uh, supposedly a means of exchange. But in reality, too, those who always controlled the means of exchange from generation and empire to empire uh, really control everything from the top to the bottom, including the governments. And all those who were elected into, into government, the first thing they do as a president or prime minister is have a chat with the Federal Reserve uh, chairman or the, the Bank of England, for instance, in England, and, uh, and, and, and Bank of Canada too, which isn't really a bank. And they're given their marching orders, they're on board. But everybody that you elect at the top, doesn't matter what party uh, is running and who they supposedly run for, uh, you find that all pre-selected by the Council on Foreign Relations and Royal Institute for International Affairs. And that was again from Carl Quigley, who mentioned it in his book, Tragedy and Hope and the Anglo-American Establishment, uh, which is a, a fantastic insight into how wars are created, who's behind them, what are the ultimate goals, geopolitical goals, and financial goals as well. And that's what we're really living in today as the last few countries not in the World Trade Organization and on the central banking IMF are being flattened. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. We're I try to tell you how things really are as opposed to how they appear to be. And the whole art of managing massive populations across the planet is to do with perception management. Perception management is awfully important. You have no idea the amount of time that marketers and psychologists and so on uh, spend doing the wording of the various drafts and bills that they put out through government and so on. You have no idea how important it is for them to go over every single word and, and its, its sequence within the sentence and so on because you work like a computer and the whole idea is to alleviate any, any concerns you might have with bills and laws that are going to go through and, and to make you think it's all happy and good and, and upfront and so on. Uh, but it's always very, very deceptive. So it's meant to con you, in other words. But here's an article here to do with uh, corporate welfare. And we, we saw lots of corporate welfare when the banks got bailed out. And people forget an, another thing about banking. A lot of uh, investments and, and purchases and so on across the world, big building projects, which they love, of course, using nations as the guarantors for all the cash that's borrowed to build them. Uh, you find that uh, governments are involved with insurance companies 
big insurance companies. Insurance companies build roads and everything and, uh, and for their own investments, etc. Sometimes outdoing the banks, the big banks, and people forget about them. And when then Britain and the US and all these countries bailed out the, the, the corporate world crooks that have always been around, um, and I guess will always be because they never changed the laws to stop it, so they can do it again, since they always plunder us twice a century at least, then you find that uh, governments give a lot of corporate welfare and bailouts and so on to big insurance companies. And this article is interesting because it's the usual pablum. As I say, the media gives you pablum to spin something to you. Uh, and it's, it's never right to the point and so on and so on. Or, or, or the, it doesn't go into the whys of things. But we know that Britain, for, for example, is, I'm sure America did the same thing. They also had to bail out massive insurance companies. Massive ones. And in Britain, it was Lloyd's of London. And it says that George Osborne, who's the, the, the head of the, the treasury, they call it, over there, it says he's facing skepticism from inside his own department about the prospect of a multi-billion pound sale of Lloyd's banking group shares to the general public. And it says that uh, some treasury officials are expressing their concerns about the complexity of a retail offering of part of the government's remaining 33% stake in Lloyd's. Now, how, how many billions did they have? Because this is remaining 33% stake in Lloyd's. And the taxpayer was put down as a bailout character who will get nothing back from it at all except getting higher taxes all the time. Uh, and since when is the government's role to, to, to stand in and put the taxpayers down to bail out anybody anyway in the first place, any corporation. No one asks the obvious questions. Because you think the governments are there to serve you. No, no, no. They're there to serve the big corporations because there's one system in the world and the real government is above the ones that you think you elect. It really is. It's a parallel government, the real one. Anyway, there are remaining 33% stake in Lloyd's. It says, a mass public sale of shares in the bank is widely seen as likely in the early months of next year, following last week's successful placing of a 6% stake through a deal which raised $3.2 billion. And then it goes on with this usual pablum and so on and so on. But um, when they say they're going to offer this to the public, this isn't the Joe public. They mean private businesses, they're big boys. And the guys that are overseeing this, guess who it's the bankers to the world, Goldman Sachs, you know. The same bankers, of course, that fudged Greasy's books and made them sound so it looked so rosy in order to get them to accepted in, in joining the, the EU. We know where that went to. And they did a, quite a few other countries as well. But there was no charges laid there either for fudging the books. But anyway, it's quite interesting this because uh, they give you the usual value for money for British taxpayers' rubbish uh, and so on and so on. Uh, and then this article, this next article goes on and it says Lloyd's sale of $9 billion uh, Australian unit is to get at least four bids in. And it tells you the, fa- the face value of assets in the transaction known as Project Carey is close to $9 billion, which is $8.6 billion. Uh, I guess that's in, 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 in the US. I mean, bids are due September the 30th, according to 15 people who asked not to be identified because the details are confidential. The sale includes Lloyd's Capital Finance Unit and a portfolio of over 30 corporate loans valued at more than $2 billion each, I guess, or maybe the lot, lent to companies including Telstra Group, uh, Core Limited, uh, and different ones and so on. Britain's biggest mortgage lender, part owned by the UK government, as though it's a natural thing. Since when's your government in the banking business 
uh, buying over the assets of defunct businesses. Yeah. It's offloading assets that no longer considers essential. I mean, government's not supposed to be in the business of, of handling or buying out Lloyds of London because they were sunk with the banking crisis. The reason they were sunk is because they're as crooked as the rest of the banks. Anyway, it says the UK this week started to sell its 39% share in the lender as part of a move to full private ownership. European banks are bolstering their balance sheets via asset sales as they try to meet stricter capital rules. Goldman Sachs Group is advising Lloyds on the sale with senior management from the Credit Suisse Group, also assisting the London-based bank. And Lynn Macken, Lloyds Sydney-based spokesman, didn't return the call, blah, 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 blah. And... Um, it's interesting because uh, even though they're giving certain bids to big corporations in Australia and across the world, uh, these corporations are often um, owned by foreigners again. You see, you're already global. You're already you're in global your whole life. You didn't know it. And your parents were too. And they didn't know it either. Actually, it's over their grandparents. They didn't know it either. See, nationalism's only good when they want lots of wars to continue, or, or one after the other, or they can set you against other countries. But in reality, in between the wars, you're always global, because the same boys run all the countries through their money system. And then you go into this article here, too, and, well, guess what? I mean, isn't this amazing this happens just in time to sell uh, the assets that supposedly the British government's holding on behalf of the public? As though you had shares in it or something. London-based insurer the Lloyds Market topped the list of big losers as Nairobi counted its losses in the ways of a deadly terrorist attack that claimed at least 67 lives and left dozens missing. So this one that happened in Nairobi, you can imagine if that happened and they just completed the sale from the government over to the private business. It might have folded right there. I don't know that we get paid. Isn't it happy for, for the boys involved that Britain still owns those shares? I haven't sold them yet. So the taxpayers left with the tab for this. Isn't that mean? You think things just happen by themselves. It's quite something. More than 50 businesses that operate in the shopping complex, including Nukamat supermarkets, Barclays Bank, restaurants, jewellery and clothes shops with goods worth billions of shillings, are also facing huge losses whose extent is yet to be determined. And it says... More than 500 people who worked in a shopping mall have been left jobless, an announcement that, that uh, three of the building's floors had caved in during the three-day battle with the terrorists means it will take months for the businesses to get back into operation. But anyway, it says that uh, it's come out that Sony Holdings Limited, a real estate company led by Alex Tackenberg, insured Westgate Shopping Mall through UK's Lloyd's Market for about $6.6 billion. So that, guess who's going to pay that up? So I guess Britain can look for its taxes shooting up again. Quite something, isn't it? And there was an article too uh, that came in uh, today to do with Israel's over now uh, helping in this inquiry investigation into the Nairobi uh, incident. And uh, and I wondered why, because it, but it's not time you read down the article uh, why they're there to help. Israel always owns a big chunk of that shopping mall. <laughs> And I guess that explains it, see. So Lloyd's like better, better cough up the cash quick. Or is the, the British government on behalf of the taxpayer. So I'll put that up tonight. All these links, remember, I put up at the end of the broadcast. There's always connections to everything, you know. Always. Back with more after this.
are listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix and... Uh, this has come out to you too. Senate funding bill won't include Monsanto Protection Act, it says. Now, don't bet on it. Don't bet on it. They'll, they'll reword it through something else in an omnibus bill and slip it through. They never give up, these guys. But says a Senate bill to keep the government funded will drop a controversial provision that food safety advocates warns lest agricultural giants avoid judicial oversight. And they call it the Monsanto Protection Act. That's, that's what it was dubbed anyway. It was extended under the House's continuing resolution passed last week. Under the Senate bill, it will expire at the end of the month. I guarantee you they'll put it through under something else, some of their guys. Big business runs government, you know. Those in government treat the government as a private business themselves. This article, too, is quite interesting. It says, Congress moves to outlaw alternative media. And I've mentioned before about the, the, uh, how the media has completely changed since the Levison inquiry in Britain, for instance, Lord Levison, or what his name is, and I don't know if he's a lord or not, I think he is, but anyway, he drafted up the thing to, to keep uh, journalists in line, but really, there's, it's also going after blog uh, uh, posters and so on, and, 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 and same happened in Australia at the same time with, with a counterpart in Australia, and I'm sure Canada did the same in other countries as well. But in the US, here it goes, Congress moves out all the alternative media. is is having a dramatic impact on the world view of the country, so much so that the US Senate is legislating against the only objective press left in the country. It's a well-known fact that uh, Senator Dan Feinstein wants your guns, and now she wants control over your words. Feinstein believes that a proposed media shield law, this is what they're calling it, media shield law, should be applied only to, uh, to uh, whom, those who she refers to as real reporters. In other words, authorized ones, licensed ones. Feinstein uh, chastises other reporters as basement-dwelling, pla- pajama-clad bloggers with no professional credentials. At issue is that the government could soon decide who is a journalist and who is not. Feinstein introduced an anem- amendment to Senate Bill 558, that defines a covered journalist as someone who gathers and reports news for an entity or service that disseminates news and information. The definition includes freelancers, part-timers, and student journalists, and it permits a judge to go further and extend the protections to any legitimate news-gathering activities. In the definition introduced in Feinstein's amendment, somebody writing for a small town paper with a circulation of 30 would receive First Amendment protections, but quality newspeople and so on would would be outside the, the box, basically, if you're not actually licensed to do it. So, it says here that... Um, it says, um, <laughs> with the passage of this amendment, our sources would not be privileged, and many of our sources would dry up. But Wolf Blitzer and Anderson Cooper can take bribes from the CIA to not cover certain stories, yet Feinstein thinks they deserve protection as authentic journalists. Well, it's amazing the amount of work that she's put through from the U.S. government to her, her hubby and his big corporations as well, and that seems to be okay as well. Nobody bothers about that. 
So anyway, it says, um, this is the same Feinstein who in 2009 introduced legislation which directed $25 billion in taxpayer money to a government agency that had just awarded her husband's real estate from a lucrative contract to sell foreclosed properties at compensation rates higher than the industry standards. Feinstein was a member of the Military Construction, Veterans Affairs and Related Agencies Subcommittee from 2001 to 2005. During her tenure, Feinstein voted for appropriations worth billions of dollars to her husband's firm, URS Corp. and Perini Corp. Uh, Feinstein's personal wealth accumulation since becoming a senator has grown to nearly $200 million. Not bad work if you can get it, eh? Serving the public. You know, there's two definitions of serving. You've got to take the farmer's one. Anyway, it says Feinstein has never held a job outside the public office. Uh, and I'm having trouble understanding how a public servant can accumulate a fortune of this magnitude. Well, I could go into that in great detail, but I won't. And also, too, it also broke, the same story broke out in the LA Times, built to protect journalists clears the Senate panel. So this is the more cleansed, hygienic version to put you back to sleep, you see. And it says here that... Um, Journalists and bloggers who report news to the public will be protected from being forced to testify about their work under a media shield bill passed by a Senate committee Thursday. But the new legal protections will not extend to the controversial online website, WikiLeaks and others whose principal work involves disclosing primary source documents without authorization. See, the whole point of being licensed is, is to have authorization to pass on uh, what they call news to the general public. And if you're not authorized and licensed uh, and you try and get some truth out there for a change, um, they come after you. And that's what's happening now as they pull America into line. You already standardize everything you see, and that's what they're doing. Anyway, it says here, Senate sponsors of the bill and a coalition of media groups that support it hailed Thursday's bipartisan Senate Judiciary Committee vote as a breakthrough. We're closer than we've ever been before to passing a strong and tough media shield bill, said Senator Charles E. Schumer. And thanks to important bipartisan compromises, we put together a strong bill that balances the need for national security with that of a free press. Uh, there's, too many, there's too many conflicts within the U.S. government, you know, Way too many conflicts if you look into these characters. And as Sarah Dan Feinstein insisted on limiting the legal protection to real reporters and not, she said, a 17-year-old with his own website. She said, I can't support it if everyone who has a blog has a special privilege or if Edward Snowden were to sit down and write this stuff, he would have a privilege. I'm not going to go there, she said. Says Feinstein introduced an amendment that defines a covered journalist as someone who gathers and reports news for an entity or service that disseminates news and information. Understand, everything comes mainly through Reuters. <laughs> for all you understand, I mean, we really are conned all the time by the information that, that to decide we're going to get. It doesn't mean it's true information. It can be to spin you off into having the opinions they want you to have as well. That's been happening for about 100 years. Easily, quite easily. And also, this article too is uh, talking about uh, how, they, how they did it to Britain. Lord Justice Levison, Levison, I guess it's Levison, promoted to, to, to third top judge. Uh, that's his payoff for pushing this massive thing through and, and drafting it up uh, in, uh, in collusion with his Australian counterpart. 
uh, in more ways than one, uh, and I'm sure he got his promotion over there too. But I said, just, just Leveson, the man behind the report into the future of press regulation, has been made the third most senior judge in England and Wales. He became the head of the Queen's Bench Division in October, and the promotion means he will oversee a large branch of the judiciary, including claims brought against government ministers as politicians and workers. Lord Justice Leveson succeeds just Sir John Thomas, who has become the Lord Chief Justice of England and Wales. This is, this is like something from the Middle Ages, isn't it? In the so-called the country that gave you democracy. What a joke that was, eh? What a joke that was. You ever wonder why it's red, white, and blue? All the countries that were red, white, and blue were the ones that were overtaken and conquered by specific revolutionaries moving from one to the next. In France, I think France was there too, and then the US. Old, old stuff, you know. Also, we are, we've had so many lies over even the Ben Laden thing that came on for years and years with fuzzy fake, uh, videos and, and wrong voices and, and phony translations and so on. That, that's what they feed the public because they always say that the first casualty of war is, is, is truth, you see. So you must always get the public on board for any war that you want to, to go for, even when you're plundering for oil and stuff. You must give it different reasons, emotive reasons to get the public angry. But, and, and then this is an old thing. And again, this, how can, truth doesn't matter when plans are drawn up for war. Facts don't count. Facts don't count. Never go. Anyway, I will sort of continue. Iran news agency slams CNN for fabricating Rouhani's Holocaust remarks, it says. Iran's state-owned FARS claimed that CNN has fabricated the remarks made by President Hassan Rouhani in response to the questions about the Holocaust. The U.S. news channel added to or changed parts of his remarks, the agency said. On Tuesday, the new elected Iranian president gave his first English-language TV message in an interview with CNN's Christine Amanpour. The interview made uh, international headlines with hundreds of news agencies worldwide boasting titles like Iran's President Rouhani calls Holocaust reprehensible crime against Jews or Rouhani recognizes the Holocaust as crimes against Jews. Asking about Rouhani's take on the Holocaust, Amanpour noted that his predecessor, President Abanujad, denied the Holocaust. Do you accept uh, what it was and what is it? He says, so, however, according to Iran's Fars news agency, the news channel made up parts of Rani's answers, adding the word Holocaust, amongst other applicatory words, to its translation from the answers given in Farsi. He never mentioned Holocaust. And they give you the Fars translation, which is the language he speaks in, and the CNN translation, and it's a world of difference. It's a world of difference, folks. But we get this all the time. But facts don't count, you know. Facts don't count. Doesn't matter. But they can really understand the whole point is to convince everyone um, through lies that, that to give you your opinions on everything and how to demonize people. Understand they can under- demonize whole nations of people or individuals. They can demonize you anytime they want. And most will believe it. Hi, folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. And this article, too, uh, you're so fed up talking about corruption in governments because governments have really always been this way. Britain's better at it because it, it, it's got a long, long, longer experience in how to 
uh, cover up uh, and keep from the public things that are happening within government with private deals and so on and making money. The House of Lords is famous for it. They loved the Cold War because they always had massive investments in, in the missiles uh, that were always making. You know, the Russians had a different one every month, supposedly. It's all, all fabricated, of course. And we had to always get a new one to counter it. And these guys just passed bill after bill to requisition, requisition the cash for it from the taxpayer. And they made billions out of it. But the States is, is more open. Maybe there's, because there's more of them, I think. And maybe they catch them more often. It doesn't matter because nothing happens to them anyway. In the States, they've got a protected status, obviously. But so the government watchdog group sued the U.S. State Department for records showing that Huma uh, Abedin, the one-time advisor to then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, had a sweetheart deal that allowed her to keep her salary while cashing in on the side with a lucrative private sector consulting contract that could have presented clearing conflicts of interest. And Judicial Watch uh, is, is the one that put out the, the Freedom of Information Act request. This is on, in late May, the group asked the State Department to hand over paperwork showing the terms of his employment contracts with Abaddon, long-suffering wife of disgraced former New York Congressman Anthony Weiner. And it says here that uh, Politico had reported a week before the group's request that after Abaddon returned from maternity leave in June 2012, her status shifted from employee to special government employee, a part-time consultant. And the State Department reported allowed her to work for politically connected clients on the side. You understand, if you inside information, you're worth a lot of cash to private business. Those include the William Jefferson Clinton Foundation and Tenio, a consulting firm co-founded by uh, former Bill Clinton consigliere Douglas Band. The former president also sits on the company's board of directors. Since Mrs. Clinton retired from her job as Secretary of State March, Abedin has also been working for her personally, leading her transition team. And as the 2016 presidential race approaches, she promises to be an integral part of any campaign push. Fox News reported that the State Department paid Abedin $135,000 per year to work part-time. Not bad for part-time, eh? That's what they say, we want to have part-time jobs. these days, three or four of them just to get paid their rent, eh? From her New York City home, an amount that she supplemented with a $355,000 annual contract from Tenio. The money likely kept the Wiener household afloat after the former congressman resigned his seat over his admission that he had a sexting habit. And it says, Iowa Senator Charles Grassley, the Senate Judicial Committee's top Republican, has already made public demands for the same information Judicial Watch sought with its Freedom of Information request. It appears he alleged in a June 13 letter to Secretary of State John Kerry that Tenio may have been compensating Mrs. Ms. Abaddon for gathering information from government sources for the purpose of informing investment decisions of her clients, or in other words, political intelligence. And Abaddon has never disclosed the nature of her employment with Tenio, and the company did not respond to request for information about that work. The firm says it provides the leaders of the world's most respected companies. You always get this with the respected businessmen. You know, the most successful they are, the most psychopathic they are. That's why they're so successful. But it says non-profit institutions and governments with the full suite of advisory solutions and so on. So as is often the case with the Clintons or those close to them, Ms. Abaddon's questionable dealings are wrapped in secrecy. Well, that's not what government's all about, eh? And the State Department's uh, Stonewall and Abaddon suggests that there is something to hide. Well, there's, there's lots of things to hide, not just with that one. But nothing happens about it anyway. It's, it's a kind of moan topic for the public. We, we just moan and grunt. Ooh, yeah, that's what we do, don't we? <laughs> what else can you do? 
And also, this article is about why the IPCC on climate change at the United Nations, why it has, why it's not being televised. It says, since Monday, the Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change has been in a meeting. The purpose of the meeting is to take a document uh, authored by scientists and ensure that its wording is palatable to the powers that be. Remember, I talked before about psycholinguistics, neurolinguistics is the column. Today, same thing. Uh, ways to put things across. Because you work like a computer with a program and a logic. And a, a good programmer can actually tell uh, the answers that the computer must spit out according to its logical pattern. And it's called the Summary for Policymakers. This is a 30-piece uh, of the IPCC's as-yet-unreleased working group. One report was expected to total a 1,000 or so pages. At the meeting, which they want all countries to sign, you know, nobody ever reads these things. Big, like All politicians know that's a game, they're not supposed to read them. At the meeting, one sentence after another has been projected onto large screens. Diplomats, bureaucrats and politicians from dozens of United Nations nations have haggled, horse-traded and negotiated. What's in it for me, so I think. Eventually, phrasing that everyone can live with has been agreed upon. Then they moved on to the next sentence. The meeting is closed to the public naturally because it affects all of us. It's so close, it's also closed to the media. No minutes are kept, we're told. But let us imagine that a television camera has been smuggled in. What would we see? In 2010, the IPCC's insiders answered a questionnaire sponsored by the Inter-Academy Council, which is a collection of the world's science academies. Their anonymized answers paint an unflattering picture of these meetings. Here are some general impressions. I suspect that anyone who has not been involved in the process would scarcely believe how this meeting is managed, the expense of it, the length of the sessions, and the apparent uh, pickiness of some of the discussion would strike many as a very poor way to conduct international business. This was an agonizing, frustrating process, as every sentence had to be word- wordsmithed on a screen in front of representatives of more than 100 governments falling further and further beyond a realistic schedule by the hour. In Brussels in 2007, the process ran all night uh, on the two final days. These are all all comments from people who attended. And it says, I've observed the the behaviour of the delegations from individual countries, which certainly reflects a completely different mindset than my own as a scientist. It's all political and feminism and this and that and the other, and all involved in it, because these are the goals they're all aiming to get lots of cash for. Uh, for, for these private NGOs that all work for the big foundations that run the world. Uh, that's what they want to get. And, and uh, that's all changing our entire way of life, by the way. That's so important. All of us. That's what it's about. It's a social, political uh, goal. Nothing to do with the climate. Uh, and many of the, the top politicians have actually said that it doesn't matter if all the science is bunkum or, or, or nonsense, as long as we get the political agenda through. You see? Anyway... I'll put this article up tonight to show you, as it goes on and on, it's quite, it's quite a lengthy article, and it says that uh, they're going to present it eventually to the public, some bits of it, but uh, again, they've, they've carefully wordcrafted it, or wordsmithed it, to sound palatable to the general public, but within it, if you've got a lawyer to read it, you get a completely different take on it all, because they have lots of lawyers working on this stuff, because we've got lots of laws to pass in the future, you understand. Also, uh, it's interesting that um, if you read uh, this article here, which is quite a good website actually, and some of the things to do with money and and the big boys and so on, you find that uh, the company uh, Te- uh, Tepco in Japan uh, says it's the most hated corporation, and it's now to be bailed out forever. No kidding. 
and it was into the, the, the Japanese domestic production dropping 8.1% down for the 12th month in a row as automakers shifted production overseas to hedge against currency fluctuations producing markets where labour is cheaper and produced closer to their customers and benefit from translating overseas revenues, etc., etc. But it's also, they're also moving over, as we well know, because some of the first uh, cars to come into some countries after Fukushima were, were unfortunately radioactive. Radioactive, indeed. But anyway, that's what's happening there. So this, this thing's going to go on forever with, with these nuclear meltdowns uh, owned by TEPCO. So I guess they're going to be bailed out for forever and ever. Amen. So it would seem. Also, uh, just for the people in the NSA, of course, who are always happy to, for, the, for all the cash that's thrown their way so they can stoop on all of us and give private business information to the big moguls like Goldman Sachs and stuff. You think that doesn't go on? Of course it is. Why do you think it's really, really there? Anyway, it says, new NSA data farm takes root in Utah. They're booting up now, it says. National Security Agency says its massive new data center near Salt Lake City will enhance the agency's ability to analyze the mail, email, text messages, cell phone, and landline metadata it collects. It's going to help them do better jobs on watching all of you. And it says that um, it won't say exactly when it will be fully up and running, uh, but uh, they're really working hard. No grand opening, it says, or a celebrity barbecue outside the sprawling facility, which is five times the size of the IKEA down the road <laughs> quite the world eh quite the world we're living in well from Hamish myself from Ontario Canada it's good night to me your God or your gods go with you